Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting joyfully in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I've got Thomas Patrick Dorian. Hello. And I've got Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. We are so filled with joy, and that's awesome. You're sitting joyfully. I am sitting joyfully. I'm looking at my show notes joyfully. I'm anticipating a joyful show. Like, you know, we're doing the wrong mystery. I know. Because we're doing the glorious mysteries, not the joyful. I'm feeling glorious now. Suddenly, all of a sudden, I've... I feel glorious. So we are we are continuing our trek through the glorious mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and uh, we are on the fourth glorious mystery, which is the Assumption. Wow! Yes, the way you said that, <laughs> that, was, was, a, that was a glorious line. Yeah, that was Sam. a glorious line. Uh, it was, thank uh, you. It's very assuming. You are making an assumption, and this and this is this is yes, the assumption, the assumption of our Blessed Mother into heaven, body and soul. Um, and this is this one might be a little difficult for some of our listeners. We we love our uh, we love all of our listeners. Uh, it's and we especially love our listeners who are not Catholic. And we have quite a few of those. And, and we're we're so glad that you're that you're listening. So we're not going to beat you up today and tell you why you're wrong. But I but but we are we are going to talk about. I'm joking, of course. But we are going to talk about like why uh, it's important that we believe. In the assumption of Mary into heaven, uh, but then also another closely related uh, dogma of Mary or teaching of Mary about Mary, the Church is uh, is the Immaculate Conception, and these things kind of go hand in hand. And we're just going to talk a little bit about that because in this fourth glorious mystery, I mean, it's called the Assumption. Yeah, you we know? don't want to make an assumption about what. That's you know. exactly right. <laughs> so we are going to speak of those things. And so we really do need to uh, look at the dogma of the assumption and what it says, and also guess what it doesn't say. Right. Right. So, uh, but let's if we if we go to paragraph number nine hundred and sixty six in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, for our separated brothers and sisters, um, our Christian friends that are not Catholic, you need to get a catechism because, like, a lot of times there's confusion about what do Catholics believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is very very clear. It's also very beautiful how it's written. Um, and it's very carefully. Uh, there's 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 some legal terms in here or in these in in the in the catechism, but it's not like legalistic language. It's really precise. Yeah, it's theologically precise language. But it, but you can actually pray with the catechism and meditate upon it. It's quite beautiful. We do not believe that the catechism is scriptural. Right? It's not. Uh, divinely inspired in the same way that the scriptures are. However, we do teach that every word in the catechism is is true uh, and and comes from the well of divine inspiration. So, in other words, it is it is a. Um, I think John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, said that th- this was a sure norm for teaching the faith and speaks that what comes that what is written in the catechism is true. Well, scriptures were the, the the canon of uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament were compiled under church authority under right. the, the magisteral teachings of the, uh, the 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 successors to the apostles, our bishops, and those they continue today. You know, so we have three sources of authority within the Catholic Church, 
uh, you know, the magisterium, which is that church authority of the, right. the, the bishops, and then we have the scripture, and we also have sacred tradition. And and the Jews also have the same three sources. They have, you know, the teaching of authority, of the teaching authority, you know, the seat of Moses. Uh, you know, they also have scripture and they have sacred tradition. So we carry forth those three sources of, of, of authority, and the, and the catechism is a, is, a, is a fruit of that magisterial. Yes, exactly right. It's a, it, that's exactly right. So let's, let's clarify the dogma of the, uh, of the Assumption of Mary. Uh, we're going to read uh, paragraph number 966 from the catechism. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory, and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of lords and conqueror of sin and death. The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your dormition, you did not leave the world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceived the living God and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. And so, you know, it's interesting how uh, that last quote, it, when we're listening to our, our Eastern, uh, our, the other lung of the church, mm-hmm. our Eastern fathers, they speak of the dormition of Mary. Right. right. So when we're talking about the assumption, we are not talking about whether she died or did not die. Right, right, and that's all. That's a whole other show and a whole other discussion, and that's what, and that's why we hear this very specific language that was used here, um, where, where it says when the course of her earthly life was finished. Notice it doesn't say when she died, right, and it doesn't say when she didn't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she was whisked into heaven, right. But at the same time, we do know that there um, that the idea of a bodily assumption um, is scriptural. Yes. Right? Because we know that uh, that Enoch, like, was walking in the garden and the Lord took him. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and, and, and then we also know that, uh, uh, who was it, Ezekiel? Elijah. Elijah, right. Went fiery chariot, right? So we know Elijah, right, uh, went there. And it's like, you know, and there's, there's uh, it was interesting that, uh, you know, some people get really upset when we talk about the assumption of Mary. Right. Like, like, where is that? Where is that in Scripture? And we'll talk a little bit about where it is in Scripture. But at the same time, because it's not spelled out in that way. Right. But this is why we want to reiterate those, those sources of, um, of truth, of revelation in the Catholic Church and the magistral teachings of the church and church tradition teaches this. And, and, and ultimately, you know, this is not just like a, a Sunday school catechesis show. Like, we're going to go through the assumption fairly briefly and then ultimately as we delve into the mystery of the rosary we're going to try to help you connect to the assumption in a personal relatable way yeah. that's relevant to your everyday life so like i, I love this um we we typed up some some show notes and and you uh you you said imagine if you were able to create your own mother you know would you not want to make her perfectly free of all sin because all things were created through Jesus yes scriptures yes. are very clear about that right? yeah from John from from the uh, opening of John's gospel all things were created through him and so yeah I mean th- th- we forget this sometimes uh, the notion of Mary um, is, is, is imagine if you were able to create 
your own mother, you're able to create. You wouldn't you want to create her perfectly, and wouldn't you want to have a perfect end to her life as well? That's right, exactly right. And and, and also, you know, um, there's this notion that like um, if if the savior of the world is is passing into this world, right, yes. the transitus into this world, that the vessel through which you know that that he moves moves through would be pure right right and a lot of people don't realize that a lot of catholics don't realize one of the reasons why we use sacred vessels mm-hmm. at mass is that that the that the body blood soul and divinity of our savior would be held in something uh that that is like pure gold or platinum mm-hmm. or some a precious metal something that's pure and beautiful in the same way that our our, our Savior, body, blood, soul, and divinity, was was contained in the tabernacle of Mary. Yes, in in her purity and the typology of the uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. Right, gold uh, on the inside and outside. Yeah, pure it was a typo- inside. It's a typology out. of our Blessed Mother. I mean, she is the Ark of the New Covenant. That's right. You know, and and so um, one of the things though about the assumption that we have to keep in mind is that it's a fruit. N- not a root. Right? So we should look at the root. Yes, which right. is the Immaculate Conception. Yes, yeah, so they're tied together. Yes. The Immaculate Conception and the Assumption are, are, are definitely uh, tied together. So, so that should make it easy for our separated brothers and yeah, sisters, well, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> this, is, this is where we're kind of in Vegas doubling down, as it were. You know, um, if you didn't accept this, wait until you hear this, you know? No, it's, it's no, it's, it's it, but you know, it's beautiful and it's like, it, it's something that also is reasonable. Yeah, it makes sense. Sure, um, in, in in that way. But so there are several verses referring to the Immaculate Conception. I want to read all of them. But we'll read a couple of them: four ninety and four ninety one of, of the Catechism of the Catechism, the Catechism yes. of the Catholic Church. To become the mother of the Savior, Mary was enriched by God with gifts appropriate to such a role. The angel Gabriel, at the moment of the Annunciation, salutes her as full of grace. In fact. In order for Mary to be able to give the free assent of her faith to the announcement of her vocation, it was necessary that she be wholly born by God's grace. Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854, the most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. And it goes on to say that yes. she, didn't con- uh, c- uh, she didn't have any other sin. Right, right later in her life, so not only she had no original sin, right, she never fell into sin throughout her entire life. She had impeccability. That's exactly right. And, and so, in our, our separated brothers and sisters might be asking, "Where is that in the Bible?" And they they hear the repetition of that line, "Full of grace." The fact of the matter is that line, "Full of grace," it's not a, a complete translation of the line of of the angel Gabriel's greeting, "Kikaratomeni." Right, is how he greeted her, and what that actually would translate to is. You who are, were, and always will be fully graced, like overflowing with grace. And he greeted her as that before she ever gave her yes, before Christ ever took on flesh. Yeah. So that in itself is scriptural evidence of the Immaculate Conception. And it also, it, it helps, uh, Trent, Horn did a read, uh, Trent Horn did a recent podcast on, on, on this, and he said, he brought up an interesting point saying that... Um, 
her immaculate conception allows her to give her yes in an exact proper way. Yeah. You know, because... If, Again, it's reasonable. Yes. Right? It's reasonable to, to believe that. And this could carry to Tomene word. I, I love this. That, this, uh, this part of the Bible, right, in Luke, is the very reason I went and bought a, a copy of the 1611 edition of the King James Version, as we all know. That's the one mm. Jesus had with him when he was walking the earth. <laughs> yes. The 1611 King James Version. <laughs> But, yeah, he but, dropped it off as he was That's saying. right. Um, and uh, it fell out of his pocket. Exactly. And they picked it up and went like, this is hey, something this nice. Is <laughs> yeah. But in that particular version, uh, in the original gloss, so like where they would like write things in the margins, that's the publisher will talk, call it a gloss, when there's a little reference in there. At that point is where it says, uh, you know, uh, hail, hail a highly favored one. But then in the gloss it says, having or having been graced. Look at that. Right? So it actually says, having been graced. So that's, that's you know, 1611 version, the King James Version. I yeah, mean, you, yeah. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't go wrong there. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the point I'm trying to make is that we've, we've forgotten, right? Because we, even in some of our Catholic uh, renditions, it'll say, hail highly favored one. But that's, that's not, I mean, you know, I, I favor chocolate over vanilla. Right and and, we, and sometimes and I love pickles, dill pickles, right. right? And you can sit there and you can use these words, and sometimes we can start to lose the meaning. But that's why it's important to understand this kikaritumani, the Greek that basically says having been graced, uh, like and then and full of grace. I mean, if you're filled with grace, if you have you are filled to the brim, and there's nothing in you but grace. Yeah, there's no room for sin, no no room for pride, for for selfishness, uh, for doubt. Everything is. Is like you're you're filled up with grace, and in that sense, God was <clears throat> through the immaculate conception was giving uh, humanity another chance to give our yes to Him after we disobeyed Him in the Garden of Eden, right? And at the end, it's a it's a singular grace, freely given uh, by God, but it's sustained by her yes, by her constant yes to God, including at Calvary. And so, ultimately, the reason this is the fruit and the root is the assumption, because the assumption. What it, the assumption does is it, it well, confirms. The fruit, no, the fruit is the I'm sorry, assumption. Yeah, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. The fruit is the assumption and the root is the immaculate conception is that the assumption is a confirmation that that same yes that she gave in her giving her fiat, she sustained that yes her entire life, including most importantly, most triumphantly, right, at Calvary. Um, Mary's love for God is the purest possible love and he created her to give him that purest possible love and so a lot of people only think of mary's purity as being related to the virgin birth and perpetual virginity but but her purity encompasses more than that and that's the that's today's fruit actually it's purity it's purity and and also you know in that purity again if we if we only dwell on mary's purity and and we and we can we can dwell all day long but the but the goal of that dwelling is not just to say well yeah so mary's pure so what of course she is right? right uh the thing is we're supposed to think beyond that and realize and remember that mary is a creature right right the highest form you know, and, and uh, the, uh, the the veneration that we give her is the high, highest form uh, of, of veneration that we can give any creature um, because she is like in, in that in that purity. Right. And so when we when we're contemplating that purity, we need to be thinking about ourselves and hope for ourselves. Yes, I mean, so in in that sense, you know, Mary, she was ever faithful to her immaculate conception, ever faithful to to God and to her. Yes, we were not immaculately conceived, but we are called to holiness. 
we're not always faithful to God or faithful to our yes. And yet God is ever faithful to us and desires to bring us to the highest degrees of purity and holiness as love and love if we let him. Um, and actually, I have a, an, an interesting story to share really quickly. I, some of you might know about Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, uh, the, the, the body that's going to be in, investigated as an incorrupt body in Gower, Missouri. I got to visit. I got to visit before, she, so cool. before she was placed in class. Uh, the Memorial Day weekend. I went there with a friend of mine, uh, Josh. We met up with another uh, uh, friend, Bernadette, and her friends, uh, Monica, Anna, and John. And we had a absolutely amazing spirit-soaked time. And I, the reason I bring this up with the incorrupt body is, you know, this there's many incorrupt bodies uh, in the church, and all of them I think are sort of a sign similar to the the assumption, right? That the, this, these people, just like us, they were they were not immaculately conceived. These people, just like us, they they were not free from all sin throughout their lives, and yet at death they were confirmed in this purity, right? And they were preserved from corruption. Um, at death and from decay is a sign of God's love, but also is a sign of how God manifested his love and his purity through them and through their lives. And I, I have to say, visiting that incorrupt body, I was able to touch her body before they put it uh, under glass. It was a profoundly powerful experience for all of us. A young guy who came, he broke down in tears and fell to his knees as he approached her. It was a, it was a, an amazing experience and uh, I couldn't help but connect it because I knew we were about to tape this show about the yeah. assumption and I, I was processing it through that lens. Right. Does, that, does that make you potentially a second class relic? Yes. yes. So we're now, now, <laughs> High five. <laughs> so we are now, we are, we are now, we just, we just touched a relic, Tom. That's awesome. Uh, I've been called a relic before, but it's yeah, not, not the same, the same. thing. <laughs> It's not the same. So this brings us to a, a scripture. We always like to do a scripture as we're pondering this and as we're thinking about purity. Um, listen, listen for purity here in this. We're, we're taking this from uh, John's first letter, um, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure as he is pure. Mm. So that's that's so powerful. And I love that verse anyway, just because it's like, it just basically is going to, it says that we are going to be like God. Yes. Well, and, and, and purity is not just about avoiding sexual sin, but it is also about that, right? right. And, and I think it's instructive to look at why sexual sin is prohibited, right? And if we look at what is bad about sexual sin, there's selfishness, there's objectification, there's using others for pleasure, right? And I think that we can broaden that. There's so many ways in which we are selfish, so many ways in which we objectify, so many ways that we use others for pleasure or, or use others for any number of ways. All of that's contrary to being like Jesus because Jesus, he, he got his love. You know, he, willing the good of the other for the sake of the other. He is unselfish love. And that that is ultimately the purity that, uh, that's at the heart of what purity is. And that's the purity that we are all called to. And we can accomplish it. That, that, that's the other thing. I mean, the, you, you mentioned uh, Sister Wilhelmina. Maybe one day Saint Wilhelmina, right? Right, right. You know, and and so you you recognize that here is this 
uh, this beautiful sister who um, uh, in in life uh, obviously was an, a beautiful example of living like Jesus yes. to the point where in in death is preserved from corruption. Right. This is what all the signs say. I'm sure there's going to be investigations. But, oh yeah. But but you're but we're looking at this and realizing that in our humanity, even though we know that Saint, sorry, Sister Wilhelmina, <laughs> I jumped the gun there. I sorry know, about right? that. Uh, you know, we know that Sister Wilhelmina was not immaculately conceived. Right. Right. We know that that she had a pure purity of heart. Right. Only because of the the fruits of that purity in her death to see an incorrupt body. Right. Right. And and but also should give each of us hope that we too. Yes. Right. Can we can we can live that there's still time for each one of us as long as we're taking our breath. Right. As long as we breathe, there's time for us. And and one way one path to that that's really important is seeking to purify our, our intentions. Uh Lay them on the altar of sacrifice. I mean that in every moment. You know, we hear, let's live an intentional life. Let's be intentional disciples. Let's live our lives in such a way to where in each present moment we stay present. We take the intentions that we have. We place them on the altar of sacrifice. We give God dominion over our desires, over our intentions. Give him permission to change us and to redirect us. Because that, in, in so doing we can get built up in a pure heart and a, pu- a pure heart and a pure mind is one that's united with God. You, you see phrases like single high, single heartedness and single mindedness, or you or in the opposite. You, you hear like, I think James says ye of two minds, right? Right. Right. Purity is seeking that union, but we have to sacrifice us, ourselves, our will, who we are, all that we are. So that just as the scripture says, we can become more like him. Yeah, no, and that's beautiful, and I I I love the concept, of, you know how we're we're looking at purity, and I, I know, um, so often we hear the word purity associated with uh, the with like the 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 opposite of sexual sin, right, right, but there is essentially for someone to be impure, it, it's really to be less like Jesus, yeah. right, to be less like God. And to be more like a human being in a fallen world, right? And and that's what we're really talking about here. And at the end of the day, it's it, we although we're striving for this purity, really, because it's also uh, beautiful to see that um, that that last line of of the John's first letter, where it says, "Everyone who has this hope." Based on him, makes himself pure as he is pure. And again, so I, I, I want to keep tying together the concept of purity and hope. Yes, and hope for each one of us. In a, we, we are in a fallen world. A world uh, we're surrounded by temptation, not just sexual temptation, but temptation to not be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right, and we need to hope for that, uh, which is. Um, uh, he, uh, St. Paul is always good, right? Oh, St. Paul's yes. got, he's got some dillies. And I just heard uh, one uh, not long ago at Mass, uh, as I was listening, uh, Romans chapter 8, where it says this, For in hope we were saved. Now hope that sees for itself is not hope. For who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with endurance. Mm. Right? And so th- th- this idea of like, what I love about hope and even we can tie purity to that is, you know, in Mary's assumption into heaven, right, we, we can't see her and we may for ourselves not be able to see our own um, 
uh, destiny of being body and soul in heaven. Right. But by by knowing that Mary's a creature, by knowing that she's this beautiful example of what we can be, then we can we can tie our hope and our desire for purity in our life, uh, and 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 we, we put those hope and purity together. That's when we too can realize, hey, this is possible for us as well. Sister Wilhelmina is a living and now dying example, yeah, right? Right. That that's so beautiful and so powerful that, that that's going to help us. And, and a step towards that hope is is a step towards self control and trying to pursue just self mastery, trying to pursue virtue, just fasting, uh, praying for virtue, uh, praying for greater self control in our life. When you're doing that, you're opening yourself up to living a life of greater purity. Uh, also, I, I, what comes to mind is like purity is clarity. You know, having having uh, free from confusion, having Jesus and gives us clarifying graces to know the truth. The world wants to confuse us uh, right. about that truth, but having just a simple understanding. Because at the end of the day, God is yeah, He's infinitely complex, but He's simple. God is love, and He's given us um, a clear roadmap to finding Him. You know, and that is like, for example, in the catechism and all the teachings of the church and in scripture and in our relationship to him and by sacramental grace, keeping things simple, keeping, as Father Jolly says, the main thing, the main thing. That's right. right. And and also at the same time, it just ultimately boils down to trust in God. Yes. Right. And and, and it can be that simple because we can get so confused and we get so distracted and, and the world is so noisy and there's all these things that are coming at us to tell us. But really, it boils down to this simple love of God, uh, a simple, simple desire to be like God, to be with God, uh, and essentially that, that leads to trust. If we just trust him, even in the times where it's difficult, even yes. in the suffering. Especially then. Right, because that's yes. where we're, we're tested even more, and sometimes some of us will fall and say, like, why would a loving God do this? Yes. We need to trust. We need to just, just it's such a simple thing that we're, that we're asking or that, that is asked of us. And yet we make it so difficult. She received the fullness of her sufferings in Calvary. It was making an offering of them because of the purest love that she has as a blessing from God. And that's a beautiful uh, way we'll, we'll end the program there. So in this assumption, there's a lot of stuff that's packed into uh, the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why it's one of the great mysteries of the rosary. So as we as we ponder this, let's pray for this gift, uh, this, this, this fruit of purity that we might experience that in our lives because what that means is then we have hope and all we have to do is trust in God and Mary can help us with that trust and that belief and that love Hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus Holy Holy Mary Mary, Mother Mother of God God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now and at the the hour hour of our our death. death Amen Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.